Yeah, the enemy still deserves no mercy. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns as we sweep the leg with a special karate edition. Looking back at the memorable 1980s movie trilogy, The Karate Kid. And looking ahead to what is next for the iconic franchise Yes, the Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear, just about ready to serve up nothing short of a dream interview with celebrated 80s movie villain William Zabka, who will reprise his infamous role as Johnny Lawrence in the upcoming Karate Kid spinoff titled Cobra Kai, which begins streaming May 2nd on YouTube Red, in addition to that 10-episode first season which also includes Ralph Macchio back as Daniel LaRusso. The franchise will also return to the big screen for one night only nationwide April 25th as Karate Kid fans can watch both the original movie in its entirety and the first two episodes of Cobra Kai. More info and tickets available at FathomEvents.com. But before we talk to the great Billy Zabka, let me welcome in a tag team of nostalgic brohams who are no stranger to the ITC family for a deep dive of all things Karate Kid and the 1980s. In one corner, hey, he's one half of the In This Corner boxing show heard just about every Monday on CBS Sports, internationally renowned author, editor, heck, Filipino TV icon, Rafe Bartholomew, my man, Big Red. Thanks for joining me. BC, I am pumped to be here on the inaugural episode of The Recrappables. Wow, wow. How about that? <laughs> wow. A high heat. And in the red corner, Rafe, he's a decorated writer. He's the author of The Moneymaker Effect. Yes, the inside story of the tournament that forever changed poker. And he's a featured HBO boxing writer and podcaster, the one and only, the only man on this panel with older balls than myself, Eric Raskin. <laughs> My man, welcome back to the ITC. Bonsai, Brian son. Bonsai, Rape son. Let's do this. Oh, yeah. How about this soundboard? I got so many of these loaded up. You have no idea. Actually, that's right. Raskin already me- me- already messed it up. It's it, He did the bonsai for the bonsai tree, which always gets on Mr. Miyagi's nerves. You have to do the, with the, with the A sound. Bonsai! All right, you know, come on. I love it. I love it already. You already fired me up here. We want to relive this memorable trilogy. I know there was a part four. There was a part five. I don't even know if we're going to touch on that. But let's just sort of recap before we, we get back into what was one of the most iconic and memorable movie franchises where we are with this, I just rewatched these first three movies, one, two, and three, within the last 48 hours, showed my kids it for the first time. I'm right back where I need to be. I sort of realized I hadn't seen these films in about 15 to 20 years. So it's really interesting to sort of check back where you are, how you appreciate these films. What about you guys? Where are you at in terms of coming back to these? Uh, so I uh, – full disclosure, I did not get – to rewatch all three movies as I might have liked to all that recently. Uh, Karate Kid 1, the original, the OG, uh, I have seen a good 20, 25 times in my life, uh, most recently a couple years ago with my kids. Uh, Karate Kid 2, I also rewatched a couple years ago. Yes. Karate Kid 3, I've seen once and once only. It's been, a, it's been a long time, and I don't know that I need to go all the way back there. But to refresh for this pod, I, I did uh, rewatch uh, the scenes that were available on YouTube just to kind of get in the zone a, a little bit. Uh, but so that's, that's where I am in terms of uh, I, I couldn't do the full, uh, the full rewatch uh, like you did, BC. Well, Brian, I, I personally did manage to do what the, I guess the, the tour of Italy of the Karate Kid films that, that you just did, one, two, and three. And I hate to say it, man, but like 
what the hell were we watching, yo? Wow. What, what, what were wow. we thinking? Why are why are we even why are we celebrating? Why are this is even getting remade? A heel we turn. Have things like the Last Dragon, only the strong, great, great corny '80s and '90s action films that are just that just blow this out of the water. I, I'm serious about the Last Dragon. I mean, I, I, it just, it is a classic. And I'm sorry that I had to start off by throwing water on all the balls of the Karate Kids and How Mr. Miyagi, you. but I need to cool it down. The Last Dragon, Show Nuff, The Glow, that stuff changed my life. Wow. Uh, but crap. let's come uh, here. Stop it. All right. Wow. All right. Somebody, one of us had to get a yeah, heel no. turn early I, I, on. Uh, uncalled for. Rafe, if you want to besmirch Karate Kids 2 and 3, besmirch away. But if, if you're going to besmirch the original, we're, we're, we're throwing down, me and you. Yeah, how dare you. All right, we'll get to that in a second. I wanted to just start off by just touching on, I called it a dream interview with the great Billy Zapka because, like, I'm, I'm not kidding, and this is something I mentioned to him later in the show. There were points, you know, you're talking to Samson in the late 90s, sitting on couches with friends and going, if you could be one person who's cooler than we are right now and live that life, who would you have been? I would always be like, you know, David Lee Roth, maybe. Hey, it would have been cool to be Bo Jackson in 88, wouldn't it have been? And then I'd always end up with, no, Billy Zabka. I'm sure this guy was smashing in the 80s. I'm sure this guy was living the life. The greatest 80s movie villain of all time. You guys feel the same sort of man love for the great BZ, or am I completely on my own planet here? Um... You know, I, I don't know that I've quite crossed over into man love, uh, but he, yeah, he was cool. He was, if you like the villain, he was the ultimate 80s villain. Um, I will say this, his look has stood the test of time better than his rival, Ralph Macchio. I mean, w w glancing back at these movies, there's no question, Ralph Macchio peaked in terms of handsomeness at about age 15. It was all <laughs> downhill from there for him. Uh, so so in that regard, uh, I think uh, from the, the clips we've seen of the upcoming Cobra Kai, Billy Zabka has, uh, has won in the end. Yeah, they both might be taking performance-enhancing audio, by the way, because both are looking, uh, <laughs> you know, not their age, I'll say, in their mid-50s. But uh, fired up, by the way, for them to reprise this series. Fired up to dig back in. Uh, first Karate Kid, of course, came out in 1984. I've seen the first three in the theaters, like opening run, first night, basically. Karate Kid, I saw it when I was five. The first movie I ever, you know, stood up and clapped and cheered at the end of it. It's iconic. It, it hits the feel spot. It's everything we want it to be. Rafe, you've started by sort of running back these three movies in the past 24 hours and sort of dropping a big, uh, a big doogie on them. Do you get those same <laughs> feels for what the first movie means to us? Because it came out in the same period as, like, Hoosiers. It came in between, in a sense, Rocky and Rudy and sort of, you know, the great all-time, give-you-them-feels sports movie moments of the underdogs overcoming over the top. Did you do you get that feel? Do you, do you chew on it? Do you taste it? Do you sample it? You rub it on your gums a little. I, Where are you at? Uh, you know, Brian, I think I've, I've, I came, I, I've always come at these movies from the wrong approach because I compare them to action movies, to martial arts movies, to, to Van Damme and Seagal movies, those guys, the real badasses. And this is like some sort of weak drama between like, like a, like a surrogate father and son story. <laughs> it just, you know, I, maybe if I was looking, looking through the right lenses, I, it would connect with me in the right way. Um, but most honestly, you know, and, and this, I, I remember this going back. I'm always sitting there being like, when are they going to fight? Wow. Wow. All right, Rask. I want to just get your sense. What did these movies and specifically the first one, since you're on my side of the fence, add to the American pop culture lexicon? You know, what's what what what's the how do these stand the test of time in your eyes? 
right. But before I answer that question, two quick comments on, on things that have already been mentioned. Uh, one, uh, the comparison to Rocky is an one because the directed Avildsen, the the Rocky director. So uh, so I think that's that's an important. There's, Bill a, there's a common thread the there score? to note. And the other thing, Rask, Bill Conti doing the score for both. Right? Am I right? Yeah. There you go. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. You say so. All right. Whatever. <laughs> well, also, <laughs> guys, the other... well, let me interrupt you real quickly, Eric. I'm sorry. Also, I mean, uh, Ralph Macchio in all three films is just doing a nonstop Stallone impression. It's it's kind of weird. Like he's taught the whole talking to himself, the the accent. It all. It all echoes Rocky in a very noticeable way. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Uh, and 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 the other thing I wanted to call attention to, Rafe, is that you know you're you're crapping on father and son stories here. The author of two and two, wow, crapping on father and son stories. How dare you? Uh, but I kind of worked in a book plug for you there. Oh, so we get Mark I, Kriegel I appreciate on line that. one. And uh, you know, if, I guess if uh, if I had been lucky enough to spend time with Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi, as a as a young person, uh, then maybe I would be singing a different tune. All right. Well, this movie works, right? Well, Russ, answer my question. What What do you think this? Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> By making me answer the questions you ask instead of the ones I want to answer. What kind of podcast is this? Um, the the basically so Karate Kid. I think for for our generation. So I'm uh, I'm 42. So I was nine when it when the original came out. Um, I'm that age that uh, that generation just before us was when the original Rocky came out. Every kid I knew was fired up about karate. Was doing the crane kick the same way uh, that that Rocky. Got a lot of kids into the boxing gym. Uh, not that I ever tried uh, actually training karate myself, but everyone uh, was fired up about it. it. It was absolutely this huge cultural thing uh, when the first one came out to the point that the, when the second one came out, that was like a really big event, almost like a Star Wars sequel level kind of thing in terms of the way uh kids our age were, were lining up at the theater to, to see Karate Kid 2. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's. It is sort of we, you know, we had Rocky three and Rocky four around the same time. So I, I'm not going to say it, it's necessarily replaced the Rocky, uh, what that was for the previous generation, but it kind of was that Karate Kid one was to some degree our Rocky one. Yeah, I thought it, it's like the perfect formula, and that's a good way to you sort of sum it up. That your our generation, me a couple years behind you, of our Rocky, it's like the perfect mix of underdog story, light romance cheesy B-movie violence, and incredibly mean villains. And I think it's the incredibly mean villains that you need, of course, to set up the great underdog comeback, but you also need it to entertain you because the one-liners that this has added to pop culture, the, the, it's just indelible, right? I mean, it's... Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. I mean, I can, you know, these are things we just repeat all the time. And it starts with this great heel faction, Cobra Kai, led by this, you know, psychotic Vietnam veteran, John Kreese, headed up by the leader, the great Johnny Lawrence, played by Billy Zabka. Guys, is this the greatest heel faction, to steal a poor wrestling term, in this genre of sort of like 80s-ish high school movies? I mean, this is it doesn't get better than this. As a faction, it might. I mean, I guess I would maybe put up the the Lost Boys, as in the group of vampires mm, led by uh, led by Kiefer Sutherland and uh, the non Keanu guy in T- Bill and Ted, who was uh, who went and terrorized and killed several people on the uh, on the Santa Cruz boardwalk back in the day until Corey Haim and Corey Feldman came and did something about it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, as a faction, I can see it working. 
Also, Brian, tell me right now the name of that other Cobra Kai guy who's like, like just psychotic, screaming crazy things in the background uh, at, at near the very end of the tournament. You're like, kill him, kill him, Johnny, yeah! yeah. There's the line. That's my guy. Yeah. The Cobra but, Kai... But st- hey, don't, don't leave out uh, among the key Cobra Kai members, Larry oh, B. Scott. Blonde? L- no, L- no, no, Lamar Luttrell from Revenge of the Nerds. Great Come call. on, he was there in who, the background. Daniel defeats in the second round on his way up as he beats three Cobra Kai guys to get to the end. We'll get to that in a second. But you mentioned that the underrated member of that fraction. But overall, you're talking about the bleach blonde haired guy, Rafe. You're talking about arguably the best member of Cobra Kai, the most underrated, and that certainly is Dutch played by Chad McQueen, who faces Daniel LaRusso. The son of Steve McQueen faces Daniel LaRusso on the way up. If there's one guy in that group that I would have guessed would be changing oil by age 19 and peaked early in life, it'd be that guy, and I always wanted to be that guy the worst, the, the most. You know what I mean? Because, look, these guys were so cool. I mean, look at the messages being beaten into their brain by Kreese. Fear does not exist in this dojo. Wow. So good. It's just, just listen to it. It's so good. I mean, that makes you want to drink beer in the woods and, and knock people up at a young age. This is the kind of training that these guys had. And this, you know, you got to have a great villain to have a great hero. So these guys set the table. But let's examine the great hero, Daniel LaRusso. Okay. 17 years old, high school senior, moves out from Newark to Reseda. To a, to a, a grimy apartment complex. I guess uh, we're going to get into a second of him winning the All-Valley Karate Under-18 tournament is realistic. We'll get to that. But look, this guy showed some toughness, some irrational confidence in himself. He also showed an uncanny ability through episodes or, or movies one, two, and three of getting people to want to punch him in the face. Rask, why did trouble follow this guy? <laughs> Why is he so uh, punchable? I, I th- what does he have in common with Adrian Broner, Eric? <laughs> um, yeah, I think one thing looking back at these movies, just watching some scenes from Karate Kid 3 like I did today that I'd kind of forgotten about is just how damn annoying Daniel-san is. So we've got this great heel faction. They are absolutely phenomenal heels. We have this fantastic mentor. Mr. Miyagi is the MVP of the series, without question. Um Daniel is, is maybe the weak spot, and I didn't recognize that as a kid. I, I loved him as a kid. That's Looking a great back call. now, he is an annoying SOB, and I totally get the instinct for everyone else in these movies to bully him and beat him <laughs> up. And let's be honest, Elizabeth Shue was way out of his league, and he deserved to be beaten up for that, too. Well, Rafe, he just summed up the best part of it. Is that as a kid, I looked at Daniel as a hero. Like, he's the great underdog. If he could do that, I could do it. Now, I hate him the entire movie watching it back and just get mad at how <laughs> unrealistic every aspect, not just him winning a karate point tournament, but him bagging a series of girls and then getting stomped on them and getting his heart broken. But, I mean, this guy as just this skinny, ragdoll guy with a chip on his shoulder, he's very unlikable in retrospect. Yeah, he sucks. He's not fun. Like, like I wanted to watch, like, I mean, really, Raskin hit it. I mean, like, Miyagi is cool. The bet, like, Billy, Billy Zabka, Billy Lawrence, they're, they're two, uh, Johnny it's the Lawrence. Same. It's the same. 
It's tough. It's tough. Uh, you know, Johnny Lawrence, he's I'm down with him. He's fun. Every time he shows up, I'm I I'm happy on the screen. But uh, yeah, it's rough. Um, Ralph Macchio. I I don't know how much respect I had for him, but I, I may have lost some. All right. So Miyagi at Rask identified it. It's really the backbone of this whole movie. His like Zen teachings, his everything about it, how he handles himself. Here's what we know. This guy from Okinawa came to the U.S. to avoid a fight to the death with his former best friend Sato, which we unwrap in the second movie, won a badge of honor for courage in World War II. He's a widowed handyman, a fix-it guy in this rundown apartment building in Reseda. But somehow he could heal like Jesus with his hands, and he had absurd almost Seagal-like reaction speed, like Aikido. I don't know what's going on there. But Rafe, we, in risk, and whoever wants to jump in on here, we love... When we look back at, you know, the wisdom and the fact that he could handle himself for being an old guy. And by the way, if you do the math, he's got to be at minimum 60. When you do the math of the facts that they reveal in this movie, at minimum, he's 60 years old. So we can get into whether that was fair, the, the fights he handled. But you know how hindsight in our childhood is always twenty twenty, And we look back and we realize things that we thought were innocent were actually really dangerous back then. I don't think I can go too much further watching these back in 2018 without asking you guys, when we look back at the relationship between Daniel-san and Miyagi, is it pure friendship? Is it on the up and up? Is it's there some something weird, going no, on there here? There is some, definitely like, some, some Freddie Roach and uh, Liam from the UK action going on there when he's giving him cars and things. and uh, I mean, he gives him a car. He gives him some sort of crazy yellow vintage convertible that he just had laying around for, for his birthday. That is a strange – that had me wondering. If, if I was Daniel-san's mom who was in this movie acting like, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld's mom or something uh, – if if I were if I were that lady, I would be asking some more some more follow up questions about this Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> because rest, sixteen yeah, year old but... guy mentoring a seventeen year old boy, not only are they best friends, Miyagi builds a room for him to move in in part two. The Miyagi uses Daniel's college tuition to start a business in part three. Like, where do we draw the line? Right. Well, I think we have to, again, accept that Daniel-san is an annoying person, and thus it's believable that he doesn't have any friends his age. So, it, you know, he, he, he basically the case of two guys, for one reason or another, uh, don't don't really have another friend to turn to and have bonded. And, and I will say about about the car, Daniel did wax the car. I think he kind of earned the car by virtue of waxing it. It's a reasonable it's a reasonable gift. So I, I have no issues with the closeness of the Daniel son, Mr. Miyagi friendship. Uh, I, I'm willing to accept that uh, in order to uh, to make the movies work. I like the idea. We saying... will never meet Brian Campbell's children. <laughs> yeah, at least okay at least this. not once I pass age 60. But they do sort of have this this instant love for each other. I mean, they they uh, Daniel counsels Miyagi when Miyagi father die in part two. There seems to be a real tight bond there. I guess we'll leave it at, at, as innocent and pure. So let's sort of look at some of the iconic things that this movie has given us. And one of them, of course, is actually two of them because one's underrated. But the the songs the songs are absolutely incredible. What is what kind of feel spot does this one touch to you? That's, of course, a part of one of the greatest montages of all time as they're entering into the All-Valley Tournament, the song by Joe Esposito, You're the Best Around. That's up there in the pantheon of the 80s. That's the best 
part of the movie. That's the that montage is. I mean, that belongs in all the great eighty eighties mon, montage, eighties and nineties montage. It's up there with Steven Seagal, you know, training himself back into shape after coming out of the coma in Hard to Kill. It's up there with the Bloodsport montage to the Kumite song. It's up there with Last Dragon, the glow. I mean, that that is Rocky that is Four, one of the real Stallone montages. in the car. Come on, right? Stallone yeah. in the car, no easy way out. But of course, all it, the Rocky ones. Yeah, what yeah. but it's, rest- it's, it is fantastic. I, I won't say it's the best part of the movie, though. The best part of the movie is when Danielson puts together all the wax on, wax off into into his defensive moves, and it all comes together. That's the chill scene right there. But this is—I'll give you the, the the montage to set to that song as the second best part of the movie, and. The best Manny Pacquiao entrance ever was when the first time he used that song, I completely marked out for it. <laughs> the underrated song I'm talking about is called Young Hearts by Commuter, and it comes in during their scene when they are montaged in golf and stuff on a date just enjoying each other. All right, so it's great that there's this great relationship here, but this is one of the most unbalanced, unbelievable re- relationships as possible. Can I believe that Daniel, as a point fighter, can win a tournament? Maybe. But can I believe he gets young, prime, movie debut, Elizabeth Shue as Allie with an I, heck to the no, and Rafe? We are all... We are all way too old to be calling Elizabeth Shue at that old, at that age, prime, all right? So like I, I want to not be... I, uh, I, I, I agree with that. I agree completely with that point, Rafe, and I would say it's definitely not her prime, even if we weren't too old. That's also uh, true. Le- well, I said le- young prime. Leaving, this is pre-prime. Leaving Las Vegas is prime Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to counter that with anything. I mean, that that's fantastic. Pre-prime is first she, movie. Is she the is she the female lead in Cocktail? Also, did she get all of these dumb no, roles? No, no, that's too. Who's early the girl in Cocktail? I'm sorry. Uh, I got to look that up. That is her in Cocktail. Wow. She went from Adventures in Babysitting right to Cocktail, right to Back to the Future 2 and Mm. 3. So you talk about a run right there, Rafe. You were on to something right there. I take that back. (laughs) But certainly 95, Leaving Las Vegas is prime. So I said early prime. This is pre-early prime. The point is this. 21 years old on her (laughs) way to school. Pre-early prime. Illegal illegal pre-early prime. It's just... It's so impossible coming off of the relationship with Johnny Lawrence that she would rebound to this guy. So, Rafe, you're a Southern California guy, right? You rep, you rock L.A., you rock Eagle Rock. Explain to me why in the movie it was impossible for this Reseda kid in a rundown apartment building to be dating this girl from in Encino Hills McMansion. Well, so this is the thing that that didn't quite uh, didn't quite track with me, and maybe it's because the the Valley area. And granted, I live in uh, Northeast LA, which is closer to the San Gabriel Valley, and they are in the San Fernando Valley, which is the home of the the Valley, the Valley Girls, Valley Speak, all that kind of like that that world of California. But I know some people over there. I've been over there. I played basketball over there. Um, the thing that doesn't make sense to me, and this might have just been a factor of me arriving in LA in the like at first 2011, uh, and then going back to New York, and then coming back again in 2014, not knowing 80s LA area, but Encino and Reseda ain't that different. I mean, Reseda Reseda is a little bit north of there, uh, but neither is Encino. Reseda, I think they got about right. It's a sort of working class, decent, normal, middle class part of the suburb in the valley. Um, and Sino is just 
down the road from there and isn't much different. That's the thing that at least these days, you know, I, that that class difference between the two neighborhoods doesn't really stick out. Maybe it did back then. Maybe just slapping country club in there makes sense. That always helps. And of course, you see, right, you see the McMansion, you see the parents all stuffy. They're not down with his mom showing up and having them push start the car. They, you know, they, 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 they managed to get the class difference home in various ways, but just the, the 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 neighborhood deal, at least to the you know greater LA area that I've learned known over the past few years, that that doesn't really exist. All right, all right Rask, I want you to. I, I think his game. I think his game. Encino 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 probably turned when they discovered unfrozen caveman Brendan Fraser there. That's that, right. That, that everything changed. Reference. Great reference, Ref. Peep his game for a second, Rask, because. There's a tradition and a stretch here through the three movies of him seemingly grabbing chicks that, that should not fall for this guy. Allie with mm-hmm. an eye told him in the arcade that she thought he was different. So that was the reasoning and going in that direction. But this guy has a right. slight build. He has horrible posture. I know he's got, he's got the Italian confidence himself, but peep his game. Was there anything you saw in there that could make us believe it? Not make me as the five-year-old who stood up in chair, but make me now as the 40-year-old dad. Come on. Okay, so every girl that I knew at the time when we were we were a few years younger than Ralph Macchio, if I was like 10, you know, the all those girls did love Ralph Macchio at that time. Now, does that convince me that Elizabeth Shue would go for him? I don't know, but he was he was definitely like a teen idol pinup kind of guy at the time. So, I'm willing to suspend maybe a, a hint of disbelief that he could get like one of these girls. But yeah, to get a movie after movie, um, it, and I also do wonder, I have a question for you, Brian, with all these uh, attractive young ladies that he dated, do you think Daniel, Daniel son ever cashed in his V card with any of them? Wow. Do we know if he, if he went all the way wow. or do you think that he was just like kiss, kissing friends with these three girls? Well, he was certainly in the friend zone with Jessica Andrews in part three, which was sort of an interesting development there after the run of success he'd have. You're basically asking me, does he smash? Like, right, he's from point. Newark. He probably smashes. All right. I'll just sh- shout out right there to North Jersey. But I mean, Rask, you're almost in the runoff area of North Jersey, but you're like off in the Philly suburbs. So there's probably an anti-smash <laughs> going on. But I will say this. I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I assume, I, I assume at that point he had to have been, but. I mean, it, the night, the night he wins the All Valley tournament, he's gotta get. Oh, yeah, it's all bets are off something. There. And then look, the, the whole yeah. idea of Kumiko in part two, look, it's on inter- international waters, on foreign land. Sometimes just being the American <laughs> guy in that scene, I mean, they went to like a 50 sock cop bar, you know, to celebrate like Bill Haley rock around the clock. That's Danielson's territory to just cash in that money in the bank contract. So yeah, I, I think he's <laughs> he's definitely getting there. But so we talk about the unbelievability of him getting somebody like Allie with an eye. There's a larger leap potentially there, and that's winning the All Valley Tournament. That's teaming with a 60 year old man to fight off people in karate. I want to play you a quick quote here from Allie with an eye when she was on Rich Eisen's radio show last September reminiscing about this movie. Of Karate Kid, did you have any idea how special that movie no, was when you were none, doing it? None. I was worried. I thought it sounded a little strange, the Karate Kid. Yeah. And Ralph being Ralph, I didn't think that he would have any credibility as a karate expert. Wow. <laughs> Ralph had no idea he's waking up today. He's going to get thrown under an Elizabeth Shue bus. Sorry. But that's okay. I mean. So I love to hear that, of course, because that's the foundation of the movie, that this underdog is so uh, unbelievable to be in this spot. Let's legitimately talk about this. Winning a point-fighting karate tournament. So in the, under the uh, 18, 18 and under all Valley rules is this, right? you got to be at least a brown belt to enter this tournament. You need three points in a match to win. And I'm trying to figure out, rewatching these movies, how you get those three points. It seems to be a strike to the stomach, chest, sternum, whatever, 
and back and face contact not allowed, but side of the head seems to be allowed for a point. No contact below the waist is allowed, although you can trip somebody legally, it seems. You just can't hold their leg like Johnny did and drop a, a sharp elbow on it. But even so, we just laid that out in this ground of point fighting <laughs> for a guy that had no experience except for at the Y taking classes in Newark, live, working out of, of a book against these military trained psychopaths at Cobra Kai. And he went through four of them in this tournament. Is there any way we could believe that in what, two and a half, three weeks time, Miyagi could make this guy into a shifty defensive? Because we come from combat sports ourselves, guys. We, we do boxing. There are certain boxers who can do a Floyd Mayweather, Yvonne Calderon style where it's all based off defense. So that's what Daniel is, right? He's a counterpuncher. He's using people's aggression against him in almost like an Aikido fashion. Can we actually believe he could have pulled this off? Go ahead, Ray. I don't I don't know. I mean, they all look like clowns to me. Sure, I wow. believe it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, first of all, the rules, the rules of the All Valley Karate Tournament. No matter how many times I've watched it, I don't understand what it takes to score a point. How many points you really need? I feel like some of the matches ended in one point. Some of them you got three. And there's uh, a whole I, different, I, there's a whole different set of rules in the final too. I mean, like all of a sudden they're getting right. clean punches against against Danielson, but they don't count because I don't know. And then Johnny doesn't get disqualified for a worse leg infraction than the other guy got disqualified for. I, I I'm right. sorry to go ahead finish. It's just it's infuriating. <laughs> I, I I agree. It's it's it's, it's at at best it's highly confusing. Um, but to answer the question of how uh how Daniel could win, whether whether we believe it, um. I guess I'd look at it as Daniel is sort of like the Tyson Fury of uh, of the the California under 18 karate scene in that you watch him, you assume he can't be any good. He doesn't look like he should be able to win, but we have to accept that he's somehow great at karate, much like Tyson Fury is somehow effective as a heavyweight fighter, even though our eyes tell us, nah, this guy sucks and he should be getting his ass beat. <laughs> this guy seemingly had no power. I feel like the only thing he has is quickly learn technique and toughness because he can take an incredible beating and keep coming back like he takes beatings he shouldn't have taken he unnecessarily gets himself into fights on the beach i mean and him in that halloween dance by the way when those five skeleton cobra guys were beating him up with this great sound bite I mean, they, he deserved that one. He deserved all these, and he kept coming back for more. So there's a there's a rocky level unnatural toughness in there. But look, point fighting karate isn't boxing. It's not about sometimes getting off the canvas. It's about landing points. So I don't know if I can believe that he's out techniquing these guys. That was a leap. Was it a bigger leap though, guys, to see Mr. Miyagi at a minimum in the first movie of age sixty in terms of storyline beating up these guys? Because I think the fights that Mr. Miyagi got in in parts two and three are a joke to the system and completely unbelievable and insulting. But I want really hard – I try really hard to believe – and the, the, the key scene in this is when he broke up this fight outside – beyond the fence when the right. five skeletons, Cobra Kai's, were jumping – you know, jumping Daniel. I just played that sound. Here's the thing, okay? His technique, after having learned – even though we don't have proof that he did any karate in the previous uh, 40 years, we don't have proof of that. But 
we do know that he was trained in a very serious system defense-only purposes, so his technique is strong. So it may be the equivalent of us, Rask, you and I, old guys, you know, pushing 40 or over 40. If we go to, like, our nephew or cousin's, uh, you know, high school graduation party, and there's some, like, middle school and young high school kids playing hoops in the driveway— even though they're more athletic and quicker than us in our old age, we can throw a couple fakes with a head fake or, or whatever, and we can jump, the, fake them out of their shoes and act like Magic Johnson and go out there and, and make some things happen. Is there a karate equivalent of that? I want to stretch the, the, you know, the disbelief here to believe that just on technique alone, Mr. Miyagi could out-dodge these under-trained but tough Cobra Kai guys and maybe beat them up. But I think I have to leave it right there and say that's the last believable Miyagi fight. Yeah, I, I mean, experience and technique go a long way, and we've seen that in boxing. Uh, that you know, that there's that great gym video of of the young guy with the the uh, top notch going in against the old sixty year old guy in a sweater who just beats the crap out of him. So it, it, I'm I'm willing to accept that that Miyagi can rely on call upon his experience to beat up a lot of these young guys. Will I accept that movie after movie nobody can ever land a punch on the guy? Uh, that he's basically Superman, you know, uh, it's a little much, but, uh, you know, I'm okay with it because I love Miyagi. Yeah, Brian, I mean, the guy is a master, literally a master, and his his people brought, his people brought karate to Okinawa, I mean, like, his drunk in the great, 1600s. drunk great-great-grandfather, yeah, yeah his... we, there's a, right, there's a, there's a whole backstory to this, so... That didn't seem that uh, for me. I, I'm willing again. I'm willing to accept that. Much more, much more eager to poke holes in Danielson. Uh, and the only thing I found really unrealistic about that scene where he breaks up the fight, breaks up the the beatdown that, that Danielson was getting from the skeleton crew. That was how he flew over that tall ass chain link fence. I mean, he he all really just like woo jumped over it in like three seconds and then was straight into his fighting position. That 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 see the expertise I can give him in terms of his karate technique, but the just the the raw athleticism to fly over a eight foot chain link fence. Uh, that that I was that I raised an eyebrow. There. Yeah, and then of course when he landed, he <laughs> turned and punched two guys in the stomach at the same time. That was a, like so. I'm trying to believe that because he's not offensive, he's reactionary. I'm trying to believe. And look, those scenes were shot pretty fast. That's why it's the last believable. In two and three, the fight scenes are shot so slow that it's like it's like watching Seagal now. If that Seagal in like a kimono and they like zoom in on the, on the Seagal straight to, to DVD movies. You know what I'm talking about. It's just completely unbelievable. All right. We got to get out of this first movie and roll through here. Final grade here on the combination of quality of the movie of it being a real movie, not just an eighties, you know, sort of catchy flick entertainment and rewatchability on a one to 10 score, 10 being the best, 10 being like a, a top notch, fantastic, amazing movie. I'm going to give this a solid eight and a half. Because I rewatched it with my kids who were 10 years old. And they popped massive at the end. They got the same feeling I got. And that doesn't always happen nostalgic-wise, Rask. I don't know if you do this, Rask, with your kids. I showed them Andre versus Hogan, WrestleMania 3. And my kids were like, where are the Hurricane Ronas? Like, why is nobody jumping? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> it didn't connect with them. This connects. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. What do you guys got? Okay, so uh, I'll, 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 I'll let Rafe go last. So he can drop his, his two-bomb on the world and, and piss everybody off. But... Uh, I not rewatch it within the uh, last couple of years. It's it's got to be at least a nine point five for me because this is this is on my all time top twenty twenty five movies ever, uh, and a, a lot of it's the nostalgia. I get it, um, but for rewatchability, this is a movie. If I flip to it at any point in the movie, I will keep it on and keep watching. Karate Kid One, the original, is just a 
an all-time great cheesy movie. It is cheesy. It is cheesy. Um, <laughs> I think I may. So I'm the, the, the different one of the I think the functional difference or one of the, the important things to remember here is I'm about a little around five years younger than you guys. I was born in 1982. So I was two years old when this came out and saw it you know, years later on on local television sometime. So by then I already had my guys, you know, I was already into blood sport. I was already into all these other things. So I, the, I, I don't have nostalgia wow. tethering it to me in quite the same way, you were just but I can I can recognize that it is canon, that it is that that it has these lines, it has these characters. It's something that pretty much everyone knows, and 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 it is cheesy in that good way. So I, I'm not going to drop the two bomb on it. I'll give it a six. I think wow. I think for the the montage alone, as well as a few of those one liners, wax on, wax off. Just like the, the cultural footprint of this thing is really large, and and I will bump it up from how much I enjoyed six? it, which is maybe like a three. I'll double that to a six because it means something to the world. Wow, six. Well, all right, we got to get into the the sequel. Two years later, 1986, Karate Kid Part Two. Rask played it up right. This was a big deal when it came out. This was rush opening night to the theater. Build a a party about with your friends around it. Like this was a giant ordeal. It picks up where the first moment literally I, ends. I thought you were going to say orgasm. Wow, wow. Uh, that it, too, that too. It picks up literally where the first movie ends, which I like when they do that. Like, it just picks up a moment later. Here's what's interesting. When I watched this the first time in the theater and many, many times on HBO after that, always hated this movie as a kid. Hatred! Hatred! Because there's no point fighting tournament. There's not enough actual fighting. There's way too much love and tea ceremonies and, uh, like, dealing with personal and social issues in the storm i want fighting right i basically wanted karate kid part three to be what karate kid part two was as a kid but rewatching this yesterday with my kids i gotta give them credit they this was an ambitious sequel this wasn't necessarily a money grab this was like a let's let's go in a different direction let's go to okinawa let's retrace the origins of miyagi's life let's repeat a lot of the same themes right introduce relatable villains that we already know but new ones and and meld them together but like back to the well on romance back to the well on some sort of deep sort of real meaning things where 3 is is a is a party favor to to bring in money i thought 2 they went for it and i really liked it this time around well, Brian, before we get too serious, I want this to introduce, you know, the sequel introduces a couple of these Karate Kid series tropes that I wanted to ask you about if you know where they came from or if they exist elsewhere in the, the world of cinema, which is one beginning each new film with a montage of scenes from the last Annoying. film or two films Annoying. that just recaps and then starting Literally from that point in time, what I, I was so confused. In fact, it made me. I emailed you after rewatching the first one. What happened to the scene where where Miyagi is 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 serving Crease in the parking lot, and Crease <laughs> is just punching the wind and breaking his hands up? And because I because it continues exactly from there at the beginning of two, I thought it was at the end of one. Uh, it's just confusing and weird. And then the other thing that happens in every movie is, and I actually like this part. The line. Is, that comes in the first five or 10 minutes where we learned where they, they, the writers make sure to tell us that whoever, whatever lady friend, Ralph Macchio, Danielson was, was messing with in the previous film did not sign on. For yes. The sequel. She, by the way, senior. So they, it picks up, right? So they leave. So you, like you said, 
Kreese gets his comeuppance. By the way, that scene was shot for the first movie. It just hit the cutting room floor. So they put it on the beginning of the second one. Kreese gets his comeuppance. Ah. They fast forward a couple weeks to the senior prom. Allie with an eye crashes Daniel-san's car, breaks the engine. Of course, Miyagi fixed it in two seconds because he's got those healing hands. But what happened next was we find out that she tells him at the senior prom that she's leaving him for a UCLA football player. So that was one of those moments rewatching where I'm like, justice served, yes, because there's no chance he should get Allie. <laughs> anyway... The movie takes us to Okinawa, Tomi Village, the origin of Miyagi, because he gets a letter from his long-lost girlfriend that his father is about to die. And right away when they land in Okinawa, and by the way, Daniel-san trades in his money. Uh, Miyagi's building a room and extension on his house for Daniel-san. Daniel-san trades in his money to surprise Miyagi at the airport, starting a trope of basically Daniel-san just doing important life things without telling Miyagi, and they have this weird relationship, and it's all kind of weird anyway. And we get introduced to... Miyagi's long-lost best friend slash mortal enemy, Sato, who is the meanest mf -er, arguably ever, and I want to find out if you think he's the meanest in this whole movie franchise, holding a 45-year grudge because he had this arranged marriage with, what, Yuki or whatever her name was? Miyagi tried to jump in. Sato said, I want to fight you to the death. Miyagi runs to the U.S. and never calls or writes back his family in 45 years. But Sato's honor was insulted, and in Okinawa, honor is very serious, and this guy, Sato, is holding a grudge. Oh, coward. You return. Then you die as you have lived. A coward! That is awesome. I mean, this guy is the star of this movie. More so than his uncle, more so than his nephew, Chosen. Chosen's so good. Um, these two, Chosen okay, with, these... The, with the amazing, <laughs> yes. he's the only, he's got the best toned man boobs maybe I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he's got the like, best chest. I'm glad incredible. you said that. It's like I was gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys in a minute who you know of of the of the love interest in Daniel's life. Which one would you choose? I'd almost pick Chosen in that category as an option because this guy is so chiseled and just so. This guy's the best. Him and Sato are just a tag team of just dastardness that is really the core of what holds this movie together for me and the entertainment value. Huh. So, I, having not rewatched this whole movie recently, uh, I don't know that I would single out Sato as the meanest mf -er in these movies, um, just because he, he does soften eventually in the end uh so you know I, I think when we come upon some of the the villains in karate kid 3 and the fact that john crease uh <laughs> never never went good remained remained evil throughout I, I don't know if i can give sato uh baddest of the bad guy uh that, that right, i can well, give him well, that award speaking of cheesy this movie gave us this song We'll fight for your honor. Sing it with me, DC. You're dreaming of you forever. Wow, uh, that might be the cheesiest movie song ever. Maybe only out yeah, cheese. That's, that's the best. That's the best Karate Kid song. I think it's it's actually I mean, that's some stuff that Manny could have done on Jimmy Kimmel. I think it's so cheesy that it's almost <laughs> painful. Guess. It's almost as bad cheese as "Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now" by Jefferson Starship, which was on the Mannequin soundtrack. Like that's the most can't get out of your head, most <laughs> cheesy, diabolical song ever. R Rask, this one's close by Peter Cetera of Chicago fame. 
it's it's phenomenal. It in the moment it replaced Huey Lewis's "The Power of Love" as my all-time favorite song wow. for a brief while there. And this was a song that I loved so much that I set up my boombox with the radio playing, ready to hit record on a tape to get the song off the radio. Which you know, that's something that the children will never understand. When you are too cheap to buy the cassette, you tape it off the radio. Raskin, did you ever walk down the street in uh, suburban Philadelphia with a boombox blasting the glory of love on your shoulder? Radio Raskin? Raskin. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I, I knew where to draw the line so as not to get beaten up by randoms. <laughs> All right. So this film, it's got a lot good going for it. There is some bad going for it. It's got that cheesy song. But the backstory, like I said, now I can appreciate more the backstory of what they were trying to establish of Miyagi. Karate in the Miyagi family is taught father to son, but they made an exception for Sato, right, this time around. Now, Dad's dying. As Grandpa Miyagi dies, he tries to put Miyagi and Sato's hand together. We learn a lot about Miyagi's backstory, about what the rules of karate are, about what he's built upon and made of. Order number one, karate for defense only. He is wiser. Number two. Fast and number one. And we learn essentially that Miyagi is only about defense and good and not fighting and only fighting when you have to. Until Sato, who spent the whole movie trying to cash in the money in the bank for this mortal grudge match of honor, really pushed Miyagi, surprisingly on the rewatch, I'd forgotten this happened, to the point of he actually would fight to the death because Sato, who owns everything, he's like the billionaire mean guy of the area, basically just runs a a, a, a crane in there, right? Uh, it just destroys the crops of everybody. He owns everybody's land. He's going to knock down all the houses in this tiny village unless Miyagi fights him to the death. So Miyagi goes to the extreme of making out a will and leaving his house to Daniel-san and is ready to face the music until that storm comes in. And rest, there's always callbacks in this Karate Kid series, and that's what makes it good. But there had this early mention where we show Sato, who's not only this billionaire but a karate master, breaking a log on, like, a billboard for his karate schools. And, you know, Daniel asked Miyagi, can you break a log like that? Don't know, never been attacked by a tree, famous line. But when Miyagi went in Sato's backyard to try to break up their fight, Sato's trying to crack this, this giant log, but he can't. But then that storm and hurricane comes that changes Sato's heart. Are you guys okay with Miyagi, with the adrenaline in the moment, able to karate chop through about a one-foot-thick board in order to save Sato's life? And then in the essence, almost Darth Vader, Star Wars Episode Six, changes heart. Um, yeah, you know what I, 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 I'll accept it again. These kind of, these are a fantasy movie to some extent, all, all these movies. So uh, I'm okay with it. I mean, when it comes to chopping through stuff though, the ice block scene, that's the iconic scene from maybe the whole karate kid Two movie. That's the one that every kid went home and got a hand contusion trying to yes. do that. Um, so th- that's, uh, that, that's the one that stands out to me. So, you know, if Daniel San can block chop through six blocks of ice, uh, sure, I'll give I'll give Mr. Miyagi a treat. Why Which not? was a callback to Miyagi in the first one, right? Chopping the beer bottle tops off when those drunk guys were at his oh, car in the, in the beach right, scene. Hey. So there's a callback. But we mentioned chosen. The first of the many races that uh, Mr. Miyagi encounters over three that, films. That don't hold up well, by the way. Chosen was so good. His look was so good. His badassery, his trash talk. That's very nice. Thank you, <laughs> Let's go. This little teacher's a favorite technique, huh? Let's go. Hey, come on, give me 
drum back, please. Oh, you mean a baby rapper? Come on. Why don't baby come take it back? Oh, I just love this guy so much. But the the kind of the key of him being so bad is. His heart never changes. Even when that girl during the storm is stuck up high, ringing the bell, he refuses to help her. Sato basically declares him dead, and that sets up the climactic ending. This is not tournament, though, Daniel's son. When Chosen attacks Daniel and puts the knife around Kumiko's throat and basically forces Daniel to fight, it's to the death. And we talked about believability the first time around in a point fight setup that Daniel's defensive ability may allow him to get three counter punches to outpoint Johnny Lawrence. But I happen to believe that Chosen is a well more dastardly trained martial artist who is teaching the American soldiers, by the way, in his own dojo there in Okinawa. Is there any way we can believe in a fight to the death that Daniel avoids death against this killer who wouldn't even change his heart during a storm when a girl could have died? Yeah, did, did Tyson Fury beat Vladimir Klitschko? Don't don't, don't James yes. Buster Douglas here with 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 uh with you know because I mean him him getting Kumiko was enough of like a mortal victory. It happened. For, like... <laughs> it happened. Yes. No, I mean he was punching like a drum, man. Punching like the drum. You just you know if if you punch like a drum, you win. Uh, when when the crane kick doesn't work, you punch like a drum. Because That's what I learned from two these This is about two weeks in time. Or sorry, sorry. This would be so after the tournament ended. There was like, what, about a three-week spare? Was it two months? So let's say at, at most, there's a two-month removal from winning the All-Valley Tournament. So Daniel really wasn't training that much, right? Like, Ali broke his heart. He really hasn't added much to his game and chosen as this warrior. So Daniel, just by relying on the drum technique, is going to be able to outpoint this guy. And then when he has him on the ropes and he's got an opportunity to kill him, and I think on rewatch, guys, this is the point where they didn't get there where the first one was, where they inevitably hit their ceiling. Live and die, man. Not that I expected him to go for the jugular and slice him and kill him there, but that has to be an unquenchable, cheesy ending, and I hated it the first time around, and I still hate it today. Oh, I think, Brian, it does remind me of one of my favorite lines uh, from the beginning of this film, where right after Miyagi just, you know, sons crease and he does the honk on him and and and, and Daniel San goes, you really could have killed him back there. Hey, why didn't you then? What is wrong with Daniel-san? What kind of sick monster is he? <laughs> well, I think we find out what kind of sick monster Daniel-san is in the third movie. But let's close Chapter 2 by giving it the same quality entertainment and rewatchability score. Hold on, What do you got? Brian, Brian, what do you got? Bring it. Brian, give, it Brian, give it to me. Well, I mean, don't we have to? Don't we have to? I mean, we, we just, you know, kissed Elizabeth Shue's ass all day long. We have to get, show a little love to Kumiko here, right? I mean, uh, I mean you know, she she really reached... Daniel-san in a way that I don't think these uh, these Western women really did. You know, she touched him on a different level. Uh, right in the field spot. So if <laughs> let's jump ahead and, and get to that debate right now. When we're talking about the women of the Karate Kid franchise, we're talking about Allie with an eye played by Elizabeth Shue from part one. Kumiko played by Tamlin Tomita from part two. Jessica Andrews played by Robin Lively of Teen Witch fame in part three. Or even a young Hillary Swank as Julie Pierce in the part four, which some people think has never happened. <laughs> I'm going Kumiko. I'm going Kumiko all day. Uh, I'm going to take young Jaden Smith over all of them. Wow. How dare uh, you. <laughs> if you would have taken Chosen with the <laughs> just shirt kidding, off, I would have I, I, I have never seen that movie, and I will never see that movie because it is absolutely unacceptable to remake the original Karate Kid. But no, I'm go I, Elizabeth Shue, even though she's illegal pre-prime Elizabeth Shue, I, I got her 
way way ahead of everybody. That's a twenty one year old shoe, so you're fine, Rask. Rafe, put put him back in line there. Go international on that. Uh, I'm going. No, 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 Robin Lively, baby. We got we, we got a we got a even split, a split draw here. Wow. She, big, look, big red picking big red. That's right. That's she right. kept Daniel look, in the friend I, zone, bro. Hey, what you know? But that's because you know she she was straight up with him. She didn't play no games. You know, Kumiko. We saw at the end of the day what she chose. She chose the dance troupe in Tokyo <laughs> over a life of love and happiness in in the valley with with Daniel Larusso. Um, so I I mean, and and she and Robin Lively, whatever her name is in the third movie, she you know she's doing the Demi Moore. Uh, she's doing some Demi Moore pottery in there. I think this and that was. Before or after Ghost? I think before Ghost. They 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 right. were Ghost before Ghost. Wow. That's uh, a... Yeah. I mean, mm, all right. Part... That's some sexy stuff. <laughs> she made she and she teaches him how to repel <laughs> all the things she can do. She's so skilled. She she knows she could just repel down a mountain. She can you know she she's just she's, yeah. I'm cool I, that's with her. A, she that's a like a fun chick to hang coming. out with. That's a curveball I did not see coming. I mean, come, come on, come on, code for days. Anyway. Let's close I just here. don't want to be typecast. Let's close here on a grade. <laughs> I'm going to give this an ambitious six and a half. I think first time around in the 80s hated what? it. You want to give who six and a half? This movie, the second movie out of, oh, out of ten. I, I, I thought you meant, yeah. They tried mind. hard. It's very rewatchable. I like the fight scenes more than I did the first time around. You gonna, Anybody going to join me on this? Yeah, you know, having not rewatched the whole thing recently, it's a little hard for me to give it an official number grade. But I feel like young me who saw it in the theater gave it a nine. Uh, me who rewatched it uh, with my son a couple years ago, probably more in, in the five or six range, uh, but hard to say for sure. Yeah, as the sort of apostate member of this clan that doesn't really respect the trilogy on the same level, I actually like. I mean, I, I like the setting. I like getting us into some a new environment. I'm give it a seven. I thought it was interesting. You just love Southeast Asia. Let's be honest. Hey, Okinawa is in East Asia. All right, all right. Let's close with <laughs> 1989, the third Karate Kid. Five years after the first one, we come back. Daniel is looking like he's about 35. He's really 28 in real life. And in terms of the story, we're only one year later. So Daniel has graduated high school. Wait, Brian, may I may I interrupt what do, what do you just got? briefly? I'm sorry. Do you really think that he looks aged? I think that he looks like he's 14 in all these movies. No, That's, the I was kind one, of amazed at how kind of young. And every time he fights, everyone he fights appears to be a good 10 years older than him. That's a fair point. He did look like 15 the first time around. By the third one, he just looks old. And his body's like not going in the but right wait, direction. So right. So Ralph Macchio is 28, you said, when they made the third one. So that means he was actually 23 in the original? I believe so. I believe so. I mean, we have the ability of the oh, internet, God. but I thought I did that. How do you, I don't even know how a 23-year-old can have that kind of physique. He was born in that 61. That is a young-looking so yeah, 23-year-old. He's 28 in that third one. So, look, storyline-wise, it's only one year later. He's supposed to be a freshman in college. He gives up the money to start this bonsai tree business with – with uh, Miyagi, it starts a chain of events by Daniel of just jumping ahead, not getting Miyagi's blessing, uh, not going back to college, buying this store, and then uprooting Miyagi's hidden bonsai plant that's supposedly worth $10,000 that Miyagi in 1945 when he came to the U.S. buried in Devil's Cauldron so nobody can get it. 
Um, this is where this movie loses me. And there's a lot of, a lot of reasons not to like this movie. And there's also a lot of reasons to like it just on the fact that of the three, this is the most outright cheesy 80s B action, like just coming at you, not even caring about like the history of the franchise, just trying to run it back and give you your money's worth. And it's certainly held together by the new villain, Terry Silver, no question. But the bonsai angle as the heart of it just really lost me. Yeah, I'm with you, man. That that scene where they repel, that like 30-minute scene where they're repelling for the bonsai tree and then talking about it down there. I I, I was not – by the time that Mike Barnes and, and Snake and their and their various <laughs> henchmen show up to uh, to pull up the ropes and then just destroy the whole day, you're kind of – you're just happy that something came to interrupt this in, like very lengthy interlude that, that uh, was not very fun. Well, you and Snake would get along being both L.A. guys. Snake, Dennis, Mike Barnes. <laughs> Dennis will take care of your training. Snake takes care of everything else. You're looking to be a bad boy in L.A. Snake's the boy to be bad with. Right, Snake? Oh, yeah. Know it. Snake is so cheesy in this movie. But let's talk about the good. The great of this movie is that Terry Silver does a tour de force in this movie. The bad guy, played, of course, by Thomas Ian Griffith. You've seen him in other martial arts movies. is just so maniacal, so over the top, but so cool and so likable. And they revive Crease who's way more maniacal than ever before, like on the verge of like snapping, like, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Walking Down. What's, what's that one with, um, you know. Falling Down falling with down. Michael Douglas? He's on Michael Douglas' Falling Down level, and they reunite in the car, and it's. Cobra Kai. Say it, Cobra Kai. Never dies. So here's the crux of this movie. This evil billionaire, Terry Silver, and martial arts badass, who, like, basically makes millions and billions off of, like, hiding uh, waste, right. nuclear waste. Do you waste? understand what his what his business is? He, every time he's on a call, it's he's just, like, yelling at someone, hide the toxic waste in Borneo. <laughs> I don't care. Make it happen. Why, what, how does that make money for someone? Who was it to begin with? He's in a ridiculous mansion on top of a mountain, and they basically – Presses pause on his industry and tells his secretary, like, hold my calls two for weeks. three weeks, two weeks, so I can destroy the life of this teenage kid. And this is a little bit of his call with Crease. When I'm finished with that kid, he'll be begging me to be his teacher. And you know what he's going to learn from me? Pain in every part of his body and fear in every part of his mind. <laughs> and here's the kicker. He's going to thank me for it. Johnny, by the time that little twerp steps into the ring to defend his title, I'm going to have him thinking he's invincible. And then he's going to find out what pain and fear really mean. Right in front of a thousand people. I know. <laughs> hey, I like that. Oh, I like that, Johnny. I'm going to use that. <laughs> oh, wow. He just pulled out the, uh, the Avtan del Curtsidze. I like that. Mike Tyson, I like that. <laughs> I mean, this guy with the quick so he's the best manipulator ever. He would go to this length to get back a teenage kid and a senior citizen fix-it guy just to help his friend, Kreese, who saved his life from Vietnam, open up some karate chains and, and get students back in there. Like, this is unreal dedication. The 80s were a strange time, Brian. Uh, so we, <laughs> Motivations were different back then. You had more time on your hands. I mean, if if the bonsai storyline is what lost me in terms of entertainment, the believability what lost you is that he would go to that that Terry Silver would go to this length. But he's the key of the movie. He brings in Karate's bad boy Mike Barnes as like a gun for hire to enter the tournament. The goal is to get Daniel to re- to sign to come back in. 
That's the hook. I mean, if Silver wasn't this good, I don't think I'd ever rewatch this movie again. But it was gritty. It had action. There was a Daniel heel turn in the middle once Miyagi says, I'm not training you for, for, for a run back at the championship. Is this okay? Are you guys okay with Miyagi's decision here? He's basically like, I'll train you for karate if it means keeping your family safe or your honor or your country. But I won't train you just to win another trophy. Are you guys okay with that decision? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the yeah. love of the game. I mean, Miyagi's, you know, always – Miyagi's never not teaching a life lesson. Uh, and, and even by choosing not to train Danielson for this next tournament or whatever, you know, that's that's a lesson in itself, Brian. The more you know. Yeah, and, it, <laughs> and basically, if you're doing karate just for the trophies and the tournament glory, squash like grape, basically. Wow, wow. It's true. Well, look, it ends up where Terry Silver is the evil mentor, and he gets Daniel all messed up with the Quicksilver method. We know rule number one, right? A man can't stand, he can't fight. It continued from there. Rule number two of the Quicksilver method. A man can't breathe, he can't fight. Rule number three. A man can't see, he can't fight. If you hit him square in the nose, he'll be blinded by his tears and choke on his own blood. I mean, it's so good. And, of course, it leads with... With a cut, with some fighting, in really the most unbelievable scene in the dojo when they find out Kreese is still alive. By the way, Miyagi <laughs> always has Daniel's back, which means there's so many times where Miyagi comes in unannounced to save him. He basically just it, follows him. He everywhere. just follows him. Yeah, so this a is a, a creeper. This is a creepy relationship. But Miyagi saves it after they did this whole scene where they're basically just laughing at Daniel. When I'm finished with that kid, he'll be begging me to be his teacher. Oh, wrong one, wrong one. Sorry. I'm not say, I heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> they just do that laugh for like 10 minutes in the dojo Miyagi sit, comes in, kicks butt So unbelievably, they agree to the tournament This is where the rules got iffy Daniel, to defend the title, gets a bye to the finals And they have a new rule That after three minutes, if no one scored three points It goes to sudden death overtime And the first point wins So Daniel has the easiest glorified path To try to win this again Karate's bad boy Mike Barnes runs through the tournament Right? No sign of Johnny Lawrence, by the way But he runs through the tournament destroys everybody and we get to that final where they have a strategy the bad guys meaning crease and silver hey mike barnes we want you to win a point and then we want you to lose it by doing something horrifically bad cheating that's going to injure daniel and this goes on for like three full minutes to the point where daniel got the crap beat out of him and then we go into southern death overtime and the rules are just all over the place and what this really lacked unlike the first one when the crane kick the iconic crane kick and daniel wins a tournament i got tears re-watching it this time around Part three, there's no tears. Daniel wins with the kata crap, and then he jumps out of the way. Like, this is as poorly written of a finish as possible. And it just really, for as much as I like the nasty elements of the third movie, including Daniel breaking that guy's nose in the nightclub, by the way, which is the guy, Mitch, from, from uh, uh, what was that movie? Real Genius with Val Kilmer? Mitch, was that was the guy who played oh, right. Mitch. This ending is just horrific. Is there anything to redeem out of this? Well, I guess you could say that what redeems it possibly is that at least it's more realistic in terms of what the key technique is. My son is a blue belt. He trains in karate. He goes to a dojo uh, and they do kata. They never do train kick. Uh, They never punch like a drum, uh, but they do do kata uh, in in real karate. So I'm guessing that maybe they were trying to be a a little more realistic uh, with that. Plus, you know, that whole the fight scene at the end gave us. Terry Silver on the sideline saying to Crease, I love it when he pounds him, which is the Paws Pawsley Award of the whole series. <laughs> I would say that was a good line. I, I remember th- seeing that and being like, whoa. Um, 
the uh the the thing i think you're right i mean and this sort of gets to the limitations of ralph macchio as the star of this franchise when you have you know jean-claude van damme when you have someone who has actual training or a bill who as elizabeth shu so eloquently put it is more credible as a martial arts expert uh then they can finish the movie with something cool they can do a, a flying spinning roundhouse kick they can you know steven seagal can break someone's arm in half there there are enough you know there are a lot of different ways that those guys can can give you a a real you know a, a real crescendo at the end a finish um Daniel-san doesn't have that. So all he did is he does like the simple throw and the, the point scoring punch to the gut and that's it. And he wins. Yeah. It felt like the last seasons of a really great TV sitcom that goes on too long and takes the money and the characters are starting out. They're acting in unbelievable ways. You saw that in this third movie. Final score on this rewatchability, entertainment quality. I mean, it's really about a, about a four and a half. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna let me let me jump in and 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 fluff this one up for you guys a little bit because I, I again as the person without uh, much uh, nostalgic energy invested in the series, shoot, I this this one is fun, man. Terry Silver alone makes this my favorite movie of the three. Whoa, and alone his ponytail alone. I mean, he he that that that's one of. The 80s and 90s had some great villainous ponytails, and his is right up there in the top five. I mean, he's on my Gotti list of ponytails. Um, and the the way his his endless cigar smoking, his bad cars, his weird butlers, that guy's like he is rewatchable. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and give this just for being weird in so many ways and fun to watch uh, a, a full 8.5. Wow. So wow. A full, a full 8.5. Uh, <laughs> a, a not around, not even a whole number, but a full 8.5. Wow. I, I can't give a number to it having not seen it recently, but uh, in its entirety. But I'll just say this. When I was 14 years old and liked every single movie I saw still, except for Weekend at Bernie's 2, it was impossible for me not to like a movie. I didn't like this movie very much at the time. So so yeah. my score is definitely somewhere below a five. I loved one. it then. It does not hold up now, even though Silver is fantastic. By the way, today I did watch for the first time ever The Next Karate Kid starring Hillary Swank from 1994. It's so bad that I don't even want to talk about it. It's like I always did, tried to act like it never happened. But did, did, did you pick up anything there that sort of foreshadowed the, you know, her, her turn in Million Dollar Baby? No. And yeah, I was going to ask Brian, it, film. what did you hate more, that or Million Dollar There's Baby? There's nothing worse than Million Dollar Baby. Especially since I was blindsided. <laughs> I was told by people, you love boxing, you're going to love this movie. No no talk of how it would end in that direction. Oh, my nope. God, that's the worst movie ever. We ran longer than Horrible. I thought we did. So I got to get one more question. That will close it up from you guys, okay? If we did a mythical tournament, let's say it's not necessarily a point fighting tournament let's say not necessarily a fight to the death like kk2 let's say it's an mma match and in between right like the ufc rules we know today and all the people from the first three movies the big eight right Larusso, crease johnny lawrence terry silver mike barnes chosen sato who sadly we didn't get to see him break any skulls he just threatened people a lot and miyagi who's coming out of this who is the best fighter of this group all right so let me let me ask a qualifying question are we so that like when people would ask who would win back in the 80s, people would ask who would win between Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair or whatever. And I would say Hogan because Hogan never lost. No, we're uh, going at the on. Time, he could, so so in, in other words, am I 
going with what they show us on the screen that if someone is near unbeatable in these movies, then I have to respect them as near unbeatable? Or am I looking at it uh, just looking at the, the talent that I think I see when the they're latter, fighting? The latter. Because, look, Miyagi doesn't ah. get touched in three movies, so he would win. So really, Exactly. Right. So it's really right. that, um, that's what I was going to say. Miyagi Miyagi would be the answer if we were just suspending disbelief. But if we're not, I guess we got to say Terry Silver is, is the ultimate the ultimate fighter among these guys. I got to right? go with him, too. Did you see him destroy those sparring partners early on? Like comedically, I know Miyagi got the best of him with a little couple oh. side trips, but Silver's winning this Rafe, You know it, right? No way. No way, guys. It's got to be chosen. I think it's a it's, it's chosen for sure. I mean, he is prime. He to, Terry Silver for all of his and all he does is beat up Patsies, man. And he's rich. He's got he's getting these guys shipped in like like Mickey Rourke's opponents. I mean, this is this is not real. This is not fight. That's his game. But Chosen, he is engaging in fight. Okay, and he's prime. He's young. He's got the monster pecs like like just you know a beacon to his boy Bolo Young. Uh, he's just got it. He's. I think he's the guy, and he learned straight from the tree of Miyagi Karate. Good he point. got it from Sato. That's why he blocked he's, the crane kick early on, and that's in that fight in part two. There's no question about it. All right, we got to get out of here. I think I got to say that the only thing we don't know is Sato. He's the wild card. He's the meanest. He's arguably the meanest. Look, the 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 clear meanest is Terry Silver or Kreese. They just have no cons. I mean, maybe Chosen's in there, too. Yep. But in terms of the meanness but, to, to adapt to their fight game, Sato is just intensity. I got to go silver, but Sato's my wild card, even though he's got a heart. Sato, he's washed, man. He's old. <laughs> but And, Brian, you left out of the bracket Lamar Luttrell. That, so, is, that, is, that it, is also That could change right. everything if he's in there. None of these guys are going to compete, by the way, with Frank Ducks of Bloodsport, JCVD, right? John Hatcher, uh, Seagal playing in Mark for Death, right? John Rambo, John Matrix Commando. It's not even worth comparing, right? You think silver's on, on that level? I don't even think so. No, Gino Felino might take the take take the whole thing. All right, hey, thanks so much, guys, for joining me in this deep dive. We're going to toss to Billy Zabka in a second to to hear all about this Cobra Kai. Follow Eric Raskin on Twitter at Eric Raskin at Rafe Bugs for Rafe Bartholomew. Guys, thank you so much for for putting your hands in there in the field spot and deep digging deep with me. Thank you. My pleasure. Never been more excited, and I mean that. To welcome in a guest to the In This Corner podcast on CBS Sports. Look, this is a combat sports podcast. We're about to talk to one of the originators of mixed martial arts, a joke I like to do. But actor William Zabko, who stars in the upcoming YouTube Red original series, Cobra Kai, which premieres in theaters nationwide on April 25th. You can pick up tickets at FathomEvents.com. And the show begins streaming May 2nd on YouTube Red. Billy Zapka, the, the Z-Man. I mean, come on. This is fantastic stuff. Taking the Karate Kid universe to a whole new level with this show, man. Thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. One of the greatest villains of the 1980s. You know, like the like the, the key bad boy uh, for, for anybody that grew up during that time. And, and, Billy, that's a key time to grow up. I get HBO in, what, 1984? There's like 13 right. movies in rotation at that time. Over and over again. Yeah. There's like what? Sixteen yeah. candles, uh Morgan Stewart's coming home, and like five films with you in it. So you become this right. Schwarzenegger Stallone like figure in your own, you know, high school movie sort of you know, circle right there. So to get a chance to go full circle on a role, Johnny Lawrence and the original karate kid that that was so huge at that time, how did this come together and how exciting of a project is this for you? Uh, well, thanks for all that. Uh, yes, uh, 
Friday kid, back to school, just one of the guys, they're all looping on HBO for a while. And there was like, you know, a few places to see him back in those days. Now we got the internet and uh, everything, so much content, everything is great that we have a show that is, uh, is kind of rallying the troops and bringing some nostalgia and some fun back. Um, the Karate Kid uh, came uh, when I was 17, 18, and 34 years later, uh, some fans of the Karate Kid who grew up to be amazing filmmakers and creators uh, developed uh, Harold and Kumar and uh, Hot Tub Time Machine, great writers. Uh, they came to me with a pitch about a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, on an approach into the world of, uh, of the Karate Kid universe with Johnny and Daniel and blew my mind with their pitch and they had Sony signed off on it and uh, Overbrook and <clears throat> Jerry Weintraub's company signed off on it and it was just a fresh approach to come into uh, to bring the Karate Kid spirit back into today's culture with a kind of modern day twist on it and uh, yeah we're at the launch pad at April 25th is a one night only uh, premiere world, uh, nationwide you can check your listings there and find a local theater and be part of the fun that night before it's dropped on uh, May 2nd on YouTube Red yeah, cool opportunity to go back to the theater, watch the original, watch the first couple episodes of this, and it it takes that rivalry that we all love the the underdog Daniel Larusso against uh against the bad boy the 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 villain Johnny Lawrence and really spins it in a fresh way with the revival of the Cobra Kai gym. How much of a hand did you yeah. have in sort of how this all played out and how the Johnny character evolved thirty four years later? Well. Really, I had a hand in it after the uh, the guys that came up with the idea and the concept for how to approach this. I came in after after I agreed to it, and I like the approach on on uh, you know we know Daniel Larusso very well from the karate, the three Karate Kids, and you know he was the the protagonist of those movies, and they approached this one with uh, you know this one is going to be Johnny a little bit of the underdog, and we're going to see what made him tick and where he comes from and what his his life consists of. And uh, it was just a whole lot of fun. It kind of flips it on its head, and looks at the uh, you look at the lens the lens of the the valley in the Karate Kid universe through the perspective of Johnny a lot in this, um, which was uh, super exciting for me as an actor, and uh, a really fun, smart way to bring the character back. I think the the having a chance to, having had a chance to screen the first two episodes, I think the thing that jumps out to me yeah. in the best way is this is gritty. Like this is a a really cool show with an edge, you know, from the fight scenes to the dialogue. Yeah. And while you know, I find Karate Kid Part One. I watched it in the theaters when I was probably five. I, I stand up both crying and cheering at the end of the movie. That's a PG movie for me at a time when I needed it. But a lot of guys like me pushing forty now, I feel like this show is written. Yeah to the type of show I want to see right now. How important was that for you in, in this project? Yeah, exactly. Cobra Kai is a grown-up version of the Karate Kid, so it's, it's grown with the fans, and I think it's going to hit them right in the sweet spot. We're very familiar with the characters from the movie. We've lived with them for all this time, and uh, this show you know, wraps yourself around these characters, again, set in the valley um, with, uh, with, with their perspectives on, the, on life, and it, and it revisits the whole, uh, the whole rivalry and all that. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a super fun show. Now I don't need to tell you how, you know, rabid and, and cult the Karate Kid fans are of, of the four movies. And I mean, I even wrote a college paper, Billy, once on where I thought each character went in, in, later in their life. And the cool uh -huh. thing is that's what this show is. So uh, had it been something you ever thought about, you know, what happened to Johnny a after the highs and lows here? Because, you know, Karate Kid's a villain in Karate Kid 1. 
but it almost looked like a baby face turn at the end when he hands Daniel back the trophy and also in the beginning scene of Karate Kid Part 2. How much had you thought about, yeah. you know, what what happened to this guy afterwards? Well, I thought about it for a number of years. I actually did a music video, Sweet the Leg, by No More Kings, that I directed about you know, years ago. That was kind of a funny way of, uh, of tackling what I thought happened to Johnny. Uh, although I played myself, I played Billy, who's mistaken for Johnny, and the and the Karate Kid won't leave Billy alone, and it's kind of a fun thing that's on YouTube too. Uh, sweep the leg, but I didn't think too much about you know I didn't paint him in my mind at all and let him go at the, at the movie. And you know the two things about Johnny, yes, he was the antagonist of the film and he was the villain of the film, uh, but the real villain was 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 Crease. And you know I always said you know the thing the two parts of the of the script that really hooked me was the first line that Johnny had where he says, uh, you know, and when he, Tommy calls him an, a degenerate, and he says, no, ex-degenerate, man, I've got one year to make it work, and that's all I'm going to do, make it work, all of it. So his intentions going into the story are he's going to make it all work, and then he meets LaRusso, and, uh, you know, LaRusso, uh, you know, he has a, steps in into his girl, and, and then at the very end is the moment where he hands him the trophy, and he kind of comes to his senses and realizes that Sensei Creed has uh, been leading them astray, and that he's not who he, Johnny thinks he is. And he says, you're all right, Louis, good match. So at that moment, there was a real closure with the character for me where I didn't, I didn't think too much on where he went in the future. What these writers did was they came in and they painted the last 30 years and they gave him a lot of the detail of his backstory that we never saw in The Karate Kid, which I did think about. When I played Johnny, I had a lot of, uh, you know, tricks in my, you know, where, where'd he come from, what's family life like, all those kind of things. As an actor, you build that up. And these guys hit it right on the head and then they had a lot of fun with, who he is today and where he's gone today, and he could have gone in any trajectory. Um, but uh, Johnny still remains, you know, trying to make it all work and uh, doing his best. And, and uh, at his core, he's not a bad guy. At his core, he's uh, he's human. And um, the Karate Kid had a lot to do with mentorship and and um, relationships. And it's fun where the where the show goes with that. As it flips it on his head now, and Johnny is teaching a, a ragtag bunch of new uh, kids at school. Yeah, the the way that it's tied in, the way that it, it, it's presented is, it, it just grabs you off the opening episode. It feels like a movie. You want to get sucked in. I, I can't wait to see where the other episodes go. And, you know, yeah. let's just put it like this, though. It's, we're 34 years removed. You and Ralph Macchio, though, I mean, I don't know if this is anti-aging cream or if we need to run a uh, test for performance-enhancing <laughs> drugs, but, I mean, it still looks kind of like the 80s out there with the two of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can attribute Ralph's secret to his use of broccolini. He loves broccolini. Matt's got some magic for him. For me, I don't know, man. Maybe swimming or something. Uh, And good camera lenses and good makeup. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. uh, Yeah, but the valley is alive and well in uh, in Cobra Kai, and it's it's been a while since we visited that in in film or television, really. I mean, in the 80s, it was such a staple of fast times and, you know, all, all these movies, the 80s. King films, a lot of them were set in the Valley in California. Uh, this has a lot of fun with that. Um, being back in the Valley where karate is the big, uh, the big sport, you know, where, you know, in Texas it's football in high school, you know, and karate is the Valley. It's, it's karate, you know, no doubt about it. Now you've gone on to do plenty of movies in front of and behind the camera in the past 30 years, but you know, this was your first role, Johnny Lawrence, karate kid, 1984, your most popular role. So, when did it? I'm sure there's a blessing and a curse mixed in there as your career went on. When was the point where it stopped being a curse in any form and something that you just fully embraced? It never was. I mean, that's a question I get a lot. Uh, you know, I always say, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're typecast, and 
and uh, you know, how does that feel or whatever? And, you know, my answer to that is that you know, the the key word in that is cast. And you know, if you do, you're lucky enough to be cast in something that's amazing. If you're lucky enough to be cast in something that people see, that's amazing. If you're lucky enough to be, you know, something that's cast that goes on for, you know, uh, decades like this, um, it's it's a blessing, and it's never been something I pushed away from. Sure. You know, the shadow of Johnny and the Karate Kid, you know, continue to march on as it's, you know, transferred platforms from HBO to the Internet and all kinds of ways. Um, so it's always something in my peripheral. It's something I've had to, you know, try to outrun and, and prove myself in other directions. But I never resisted uh, resisted it. It's only been a blessing from day one. And and uh, amazingly, it's turned into a huge one right now with the show and to get to go back and to, to play this character. But he's not the same guy you met yesterday. He's 30 years older got 30 years of life in between them and uh and that's just exciting as an actor so you know so far everything has worked out fine and you know karate kid's been a good friend no, no question about it karate kid 3 came out in 1989 something you weren't a part of but still holds a a key part from the karate's bad boy mike barnes to terry silver new iconic characters that were added to it uh what was the deal with yeah. that for you was it hard to to be on the outside looking in how did that come together where you weren't a part of it well, I was—I actually met the director on that. When that, while they were writing the script, they brought me in and kind of looked me up and down. And I think they were thinking of putting me in the film. I know they had uh, Marty Cove, who played Sensei Chris, was going to be that was going to be a main staple in that. But he had a television show, so he wasn't available for the whole the whole movie. And that's, I think, where they developed uh, Carrie Silver and Mike Barnes' character. Uh, and then the whole the whole show just kind of went in a different direction. Um, I was happy with uh, with not really being a part of it at the time. You know, it was. Uh, I was happy Karate Kid ended and uh, to be in the beginning of Karate Kid 2. And at that time, I was moving on into other projects and other films, and I wasn't really looking to play Johnny for, you know, forever. So uh, it was, it was just, you know, it's a, it's in the Karate Kid canon, that movie, and there's a lot of fans of that. And uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun with all those guys. We mentioned I up showed the up top. on the set a couple times for that. Sure. And watched them film it. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. I, you see, I always wondered your relationship to there. If you looked at it as uh, as a movie you liked, uh, you know, because it, for the Daniel character that ended his run, the first three movies. So I had always sort of wondered that your relationship to the movie there. Well, yeah. I mean, listen. Anything that the original film is always the best, and it it, it spawned so many sequels and the, even a remake, and even this show. Um, so you know, anything that, that the fruit that came from uh, the Karate Kid is far and wide, and I learned all of it. How many characters can we expect to see from the original four movies in this Cobra Kai series moving forward? Uh, well, you know what? On May 2nd, you can log into YouTube Red and discover that in about five hours. Yeah, there it <laughs> is. Uh, how about that? How about that for a tease? Come on. Come on and get it right there. Yeah, there you go. You <laughs> Love know. it. Love yeah. it. We yeah, bet you... I mean, it really is. It's, it's like a five-hour movie. and It's the beginning of the story at the end of the, at the, end of the, the first season is really where this whole thing takes off. So. Uh, it's a fun, it's a very fun, well thought out project. It has a lot of legs. You know, we talked off the top. I used to call it the trilogy of bad acidry. The, the, the villain run you went on in three consecutive years. Karate <laughs> Kid, just one of the guys and back to school. And you know, yeah, maybe we sat around on couches and clouds filled with smoke in the early 2000s and debated and said, if we could have lived one person's life in the eighties, who would we have picked? And I'm not going to lie to you, Billy Z. It came down to Bo Jackson, David Lee Roth, or you most times. So you come to fame wow. at a young age. How wild were those times fresh off of these movies? Um, what a time that was just in general, the time that the music, the culture, the films, the television, you know, the 80s, early 90s was a really special time uh, 
for art, I think, and just what, you know, it was, it was everybody was listening to the, kind of the same thing. You'd go to a movie and all see the same movie, and everybody was watching the same TV programs, and there was something cultural about it where everybody was in sync. You went to, you know, did you see this? Did you see that? Now everything's so spread wide and thin that, you know, and everything's watching on your own time in your house that, you know, we're missing a little bit of that kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, experience of, of sitting next to somebody and, and cheering and, and laughing. And um, that's one thing I'm excited about this premiere. We have the one night, the 25th, that's a chance for people to get together. And we just did a screening in uh, San Bruno with the, I, I put it on YouTube with a couple hundred people. It was the first time watching it on the, on the big screen and uh, the whole room just went for this great ride. And then it cuts off at the end of episode two, which is like shutting down a movie in the middle of it. And everybody's like, oh, we want more, you know. <laughs> But uh, it's fun. It's gonna. It, it, it keeps you. It keeps you engaged. This show. Oh yeah, it keeps no, moving. No question yeah. about it. It's a great time for nostalgia with with, with uh, some other vehicles coming back into life right now, coming back into play. Roseanne, yeah. Fuller House, across the board. You're seeing that. It's really connecting with people. And I, I and look, I, I make jokes on Twitter a few times. For you're like a forerunner of mixed martial arts because we saw you in the Karate Kid, but then we see you in 1992's Shoot Fighter fight to the death and of course right. you were part of the sequel that came out <laughs> one year before the ufc i mean sensei Chris yeah. martin coves in that with you the great bolo young that movie has a, a, a real cult audience to it there's a lot of people who live and die yeah. by that do you still hear about that film today i do hear about it. that there was a lot of work at that time world champions ernest hart was in that michael bernardo uh, Akeem Alston, there's some of the, the, the names from that day, and uh, I was surrounded by the top guys in, in martial arts, and it was, it was very innovative, and uh, the creators of that movie uh, often uh, joked that they had something to do with the start of the UFC um, with it, and it was the first time they had anything on film with cage fighting, I believe, like that, um, and I got to train again with the the, uh, the Pat Johnson, Cynthia Johnson, Master Johnson, who trained me for Karate Kid, he's the one that pulled me in on that show, and retrain me again for for that and uh, so it was, uh, of course there's a little bit it goes off the deep end a little bit with weapons and and fighting to the death at the end you know <laughs> but uh, there are a lot of fans of that film and uh, there's a lot of great martial artists in that good, really good good martial arts and from that movie as well as your your movies in the mid 80s you're involved in a lot of fight scenes and unfortunately you had to take some hard l's in some of those fight scenes being the puffed up 80s villain but if there's one fight scene involving billy zapka that always ate at me the worst is when you took that loss on the beach in just one of the guys against that tulip, Rick Morehouse. Come on, you got to be better than that in that That's spot. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was the second. That was the second loudest punch in my career. The first and hardest hit that I ever was, and anything I ever shot that left the longest impact was Elizabeth Shue punching me at the country club scene in The Karate Kid. <laughs> she, she clocked me on the jaw and she punched me every single time. She never pulled her punch. And uh, that girl can punch, man. There we go. So that's uh, of all the things I've done in the, anything. That was the one time I got connected with the most. And uh, so my laugh in that one, being the spaghetti all over him, is actually is actually real. And I'm laughing that Elizabeth Hughes just punched me again in the jaw. <laughs> And there we go, full circle with the great William Zabka. I encourage all of my listeners to check this out. Cobra Kai, the YouTube Red original series, which begins streaming May 2nd. But head out into the theaters a week early, April 25th, yeah. nationwide. Check out the original Karate Kid in episodes 1 and 2 of Cobra Kai. You can pick up tickets at FathomEvents.com. The Z-Man. Do it for Johnny. The pleasure yes, was sir. all mine. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. No mercy, everybody. Have a good day. See you out there.